Welcome to the 136th edition of the Guna Podcast. We are recording on a Tuesday night after Arsenal beat Newcastle. We are being hosted by our new host, Pybury Corner, this month without a Brazilian ESPN TV crew as Tim Stillman is not on the panel. Uh, this is Kevin Witcher filling in for your regular host, Mr Mark Ollington, who cannot be with us this evening due to some work commitment or other connected with his high-flying business class day job. So now to introduce our panel this evening. Firstly, a former regular host and Guna contributor, the man I call the Guna's media whore, as he is happy to do the chores when TV and radio come calling for someone from the fanzine to give an opinion on air. It's a warm welcome to Mr David Udo. Good evening all. Next up, the writer of two features in the fanzine. Uh, the Arsenal programme through the years and the anger management column. He's a board member of the Arsenal Supporters Trust and a prolific tweeter under the name of at ang- angry at of N5. Sorry, at angry of N5. As well as authoring his Angry of Islington blog. Obviously an angry man, but making his second appearance on the Guna podcast, it's hello to Mr. Phil Wall. Hello, good evening. Last but not least, the welcome and delayed return of a bit of glamour to present Proceedings. An old friend of the podcast, and in times past, a regular contributor to Gunner Talk. These days, she keeps a lower profile, although not so low that the aforementioned Mr. Wall tweeted earlier today that he would be, and I quote, shoving at Jager Shake's heads, sorry, shoving at Jager Shake's head first into the largest pie that Pybury Corner sell. I think I've missed something there. However, I think we found the successor to Jeremy Clarkson for the new Top Gear job. Nevertheless, it is a pleasure to say welcome back to Miss Lindsay Melrose. Hello. Radio, so, the subject matter. Let's start with the Premier League. Arsenal have eight matches to play. Chelsea are seven points clear with a game in hand. Have Arsenal got a cat in hell's chance of catching Jose Mourinho's mob? Let me start with someone I regard as an optimist, Miss Melrose. No. <laughs> no, not in really new. We've left it too late. Uh, drop points at the beginning, I think, have seen to us, sadly. There are some people who believe we can do it. Are they fools, Mr. Wall? Not necessarily, because uh, if you look at last year, Chelsea were first at this stage last year and ended up third. So um, anything is possible. However, I can't see Mourinho failing two years in a row. So uh, although it's possible, I don't think it will happen. Um, I think last year was probably a bit of a one-off because Chelsea uh, dropped all the way down to third. Liverpool looked like they were going to win it and then let Man City through. Even Man City dropped points in the last few games, but were strong enough to, to go past the other two. So... Uh, I think second is realistic, but probably not first. 
Presumably, David, you don't believe in a Devon Lock style collapse this season? <laughs> I hope for one. Or any of the horses on the back to Cheltenham this year, which I think had three legs or greyhounds or something. Um, but, I mean, looking at the stats, um, Chelsea have got 11 players who have played, uh, sorry, completed le- uh, 90 minutes at least 20 times in the Premier League so far this year. And on Sunday, even though they've got their new signing Quadrado on the bench, they brought on the self-admittedly knackered Oscar for the last half an hour. So maybe Mourinho's going to shoot himself in the foot. It could happen. Um, if I'd put my mortgage on anything, it would be us probably getting fourth on the last day of the season, such as our habit. Um, but there's a chance. There is a cat in hell's chance. Very minor one. Okay. I mean, uh, two points cover second to fourth places. Um, do you think it will end up with the current top four finishing or do you think one of Liverpool, Southampton or Spurs will gate crash the party? Um, As as long as we're in there that's all that matters. Chelsea and Man City yeah that's fine. If it's the fourth day of the season and you get Liverpool, Tottenham and Man United fighting over the fourth place and we've already finished third and some tottering day some tottering of the day has already been celebrated that would be great but I mean to be honest I don't care who gets the fourth place team as, as long as we finish above and you think we will? Yeah. Be, yeah. I don't think anyone's going to dislodge us. Um, they, they could do, but um, I mean, the last eight games of the season, as we've shown in the last three years, that's caught by like, our, our, our good running, we're good finishes, he says, touching wood, hoping he doesn't put a bock on it. Um, but I'll give Bingo his due when it's backs against the wall. As we saw uh, a couple of years ago, we were really, really good at scrounging 1 0 wins when we were down to 10, nil, ten men or looked, looked like we weren't going to score anything, Koscielny scoring vital goals and stuff like that. So if we have to do that, hopefully we will. And, if we do that against Liverpool, Chelsea and Man United, then God only knows what we're going to get. Do you see any of those games being uh, particularly difficult to win? I think they're all, they're all going to be difficult to win because teams have, have largely got something to play for. And if they, it's, it's always difficult this stage of the season, I think, because if teams haven't got something to play for, then they play more freely. So what looks like an easy game might be a hard game. What looks like a hard game might be an easy game it's really difficult to predict what will happen and I think realistically Arsenal could come anywhere from second to fifth I can't see uh, I can see Liverpool potentially overtaking any of the others uh, bar Chelsea I can't see uh, Spurs or Southampton moving up so I think Arsenal can finish second to fifth but most likely I think they will probably finish around third where they are now Lindsay uh, you confident Arsenal top four yeah absolutely I think I think this is our this is our forte we know what we're doing if we start badly then we finish strong and if we start strong then we finish badly so this year it's going to be a strong finish and, uh, I mean Liverpool look like they're hitting their stride as well but I think if we do what we've got to do there should be a problem OK um, let's move on to the subject of one Mesut Ozil um, spotted in a Berlin nightclub um, hours after the club uh, stated that he didn't travel to Newcastle because he was ill. Um, who was telling Porkies, do we think, the player or the club? Uh, well, apparently he doesn't drink, does he? So um, he's, he's, um, he's Muslim and teetotal, so I read. So um, it doesn't look as though he was um, out there getting pissed and um, enjoying himself too much. And apparently he was going to go and join the Germany squad anyway. So is it, is it just a one-day difference in what was happening? How ill was he? Maybe he was just tired. Maybe Arsene didn't want to pick him because he thought he'd been fatigued in the red zone. Um, Why didn't the club just say that? Well, you could ask that about a million things the club do. They, they're, they're becoming more obtuse as time goes on. You, you know, you very rarely get a, 
uh, truthful, honest, 100% direct statement from Arsenal, from Arsene or Ivan or anyone. So it doesn't surprise me that they don't come out and say what's going on. But I don't think in this case it's a particularly big deal. Lindsay, do you think... Uh the club were being uh, duplicitous. Why didn't Mesut Ozil travel to Newcastle? Well, I think I think he probably got got given a rest, and, and like Phil said, they just not come out and said that. You know, I, I don't think it's a big deal either. I mean, it's not like it was the night before Montreal like, or something like that. It's like bringing birds back and any of that malarkey. So he's in a club not drinking. All right, uh, let's uh, move on to the more general Ozil debate. Um, misunderstood genius or square peg in a round hole? The former of the latter for me. Um, I mean, I, because of all the criticism he's been getting, um, I've, the last few games he's been playing in, I've, I've made the effort of actually watching him and what he does. I mean, you hear about these stats, he covers more ground than anyone else. Sure, he does, will be at one mile an hour. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, he's harder working than people think he is. The people saying that he's lazy because he's not covering as much ground as the likes of Ramsey, who, who follow up every ball that they lose and make every tackle they shouldn't be making. He's not that kind of player. And if you read back to a bunch of um, uh, issues of the Guna going back to 2004, 2005, we had this Dutchman, Dennis Bergkamp, and he was a lazy bastard. And he got an awful lot of criticism from people at different points. And uh, I'm not saying that Ozil was in exa- exactly the same ballpark as Bergkamp, but genius number 10, they might be like this. They, I mean, look at Jan Mulvey when he was at Liverpool. I mean, the guy covered maybe one yard um, over the course of the entire game. But dear God, when he played a ball, he created two chances with that one ball. I really like Ozil. He's still settling down. He's not the kind of player who likes incredibly physical football. And I think that's part of the reason why he was told to go away early to the German national squad than go all the way up to St. James' Park. Um, so so I, I say still give him time but he's a, he's, he's a very very good player and we proved on Saturday without him we do not create as many chances um, Lindsay uh, you were at the Monaco away game and uh, some people criticise Ozil for his contribution he was also named man of the match by uh, for Arsenal anyway by the French press um, how do you see it? Um, I, I'm certainly on the side of the genius. I think if you want a player that runs around a lot, you buy Scotty Parker, don't you? That's not <laughs> that's not what Ozil is about. Um, I think that it's also one of those strange debates that it's almost like, yeah, he can be brilliant, but he can also have a shit game. So it does, it's not always as black and white as either. He's great every single game. Sometimes he does drop physically. Sometimes you can see it that he hasn't had a great game. But I thought he was immense. In Monaco. I thought he ran the show. And you know, my general feeling is is the same that it's a settling in process. And that he will only get better. Do you, do you think uh, he's cut out for Arsenal in the Premier League? Yeah, I think he is. Um, I, I think what you have to remember with, with players like Ozil is that on a football field there are 22 people and 20 of them are moving around all the time. So if somebody makes a run, draws two defenders away to create a chance somewhere else, that's not measured in stats. It's measured in you know somebody's running stats, but that's it. You don't you don't see you know you see assists and you see goals and you see how many passes they've made and over how many yards and all this stuff. You don't see that all the stuff which is done off the ball. And if he's effective off the ball, then he's making a contribution. And and that's a much more difficult thing to spot. And I think he does a lot of that. And some people see that and some people don't. And it's very difficult to measure. You, you can, you know, the, the science of football stats is still in its infancy. It's not like baseball, where one man stands in one place, one man stands in another place, throws the ball at him, and the second bloke tries to hit it. That's easy to measure. You can see every permutation, every angle of it. In football, 
dynamic movement, 20 people all moving around, two guys standing at one at each end, the other 20 all moving anywhere on the field they want, and it's so much more difficult to measure, and I think it'll be years before stats properly show up what players' contributions are, but Ozil definitely does make a contribution. Is it one that's worth forty-two million pounds? Well, that's another question. But the um, the transfer fee is nothing to do with the player, is it? It never is. The transfer fee is decided between the clubs, and you can legitimately ask: Is he worth forty-two million pounds? It's not his fault that Arsenal bought him for forty-two million pounds. You can say if they're paying him one hundred and fifty grand a week, is he worth one hundred and fifty grand a week? That's probably a better question. And it's debatable whether he is head and shoulders above everybody else on the team or making more of a contribution than everybody else but he definitely is making a big contribution well someone who um, isn't making that kind of money in his wage packet is Francis Coquelin little question for you all do you know the season in which he made his first team debut for Arsenal Silence around the table. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will, I will, I'm an educated guess. Uh, I will guess at his first team debut. I will say a League Cup game in 2008-2009. Lindsay, I'd have got around 2011. I was going to go 9-10. Right. Well, it was actually as a substitute in the 6-0 win over Sheffield United in that very season, really? late 2008, which just shows how long he's been around. Uh, it was actually his only appearance that season, and uh, I think he only made one the following one. But, he's uh, a new Johan Jury. That's exactly what I was thinking. It leads to the question, why has it taken so long for him dis- to display his qualities? Lindsay? I don't know, maybe, maybe there was something in the fact that this was last chance saloon. I mean, I didn't think he was going to come back and make such an impact as he has. Um, maybe that was the hunger, maybe his maturity. Maybe there's been people in front of him up until now and this is his chance. Mm. Okay. I mean, I always thought he was pretty tidy, David, but never really got the chance. I mean, you know, players such as... Um, well, Danielson initially were preferred. <laughs> An error of judgment on the part of the manager, or did we just have to wait? I think it was a question. A combination of us having to wait. Uh, I think it's sheer luck that he's ended up in the team. I think everyone, including himself and Benger, decided he was leaving at the end of the year, and that's part of the reason why he was he was shoved off to Charlton on loan back in November. But he, he came back because there was nobody else to play. And let's face it, when everyone is fit, we haven't got another defensive midfielder at the club apart from Flamini, who was obviously a two-year stopgap. And won't be offered a new contract this season, such is my understanding. As he's already, go, he's already decided he's going back to Marseille, apparently. So, so I've been told. I'll have to be corrected. Um, he's the only defensive midfielder we've got, and therefore he's the, the best of a bad bunch. Having said that, Kadira is available on a free transfer, and we've got 140 million pounds in cash alone. If we can get a world-class defensive midfielder, and he serves as their their immediate substitute, that, that's great. I think that's yeah. his level. Well, uh, the captain, Mikel Arteta, uh, is supposedly going to be fit again in three weeks' time. Will the manager leave his captain on the bench, or do you think he'll play the Spaniard alongside Lecoq? That's a good question. I imagine it will be a few more weeks before Arteta comes back. I think he probably will sit on the bench for a little while, um, and then probably make one or two appearances at the end of the season, assuming no other outside factors like Coquelin getting injured or playing incredibly crap uh, over the next few games so um, I mean, it, as he said it's, it's, well David was saying it's an unusual situation I think David summed it up quite well but it is an unusual situation somebody takes that long to break into the first team and then suddenly has a big impact 
maybe it's just a flash in the pan now. Maybe it's a half-season wonder, and then he'll be, you know, back down to another standard next year. Who knows? But I, but I can't see Arteta on this current form. I can't see Arteta getting straight back in. Okay. I do remember when Johan Juru looked the business for about uh, half a season, and then uh, well, Philippe Senderos, we've had a ball. With. Yes, there's been a few. You, Tony Adams. <laughs> Arteta saying Wenger refused to have Johan Juru feature on the club website because he was that special. We had to keep him secret. Yes, yeah. uh, he he was reluctant to. Um, Overhype him, shall we say, when <laughs> quizzed. He, he, it was actually for an interview he did for the book uh, I did with Alex Finn um, in 2008. Uh, he was asked about prospects coming through. He, he, he mentioned his name and then he tried to withdraw it uh, as if it was a big mystery. So, uh, probably didn't want to put pressure on him. I don't know. Um, look, so let's look at the centre forward options. Uh, impressive performance by uh, Olivier Giroud. On, um, on Saturday at Newcastle do we think that the current options um, Giroud and Welbeck are good enough to um, see us into next season David or do we need to buy um, that's all we can do between now and the end of the season so I can't think of any 6 foot 3 inch brick shit out centre forwards who are available, you know, available right now um, but it come, when it comes to the summer uh, I still think they're two different players you're in well back in terms of what the the, the low centre forward has to do at Arsenal ultimately it's what Giroud does you have to play with your back to goal hold the ball up and bring others into play um, the ball ends up on the wing and hopefully it's returned to your head and it goes in um, it seems quite simple but that's ultimately the way that we play he's quite good at doing that but as we showed in the three months he was out injured um, Welbeck's not the same player not like Richard Harris but it'll be in a different way it's in more, more of a physical way so if, if we had an old fashioned 4-4-2 with a 9 and 10 and you had Giroud flicking on for Welbeck to run onto I'd take that in a heartbeat but in a 4 2 3 one, Variety is the spice of life, but I still think we need another proper world-class centre-forward who's ideally a combination of the best parts of Welbeck and the best parts of Giroud. Would you concur with that, Lizzie? Yeah, I would. I mean, I think Giroud, since he's come back from his injury, has really pushed on. And there's been times, obviously, when he's been quite frustrating, but he does do everything that David's just said. You know, would I like us to go and buy somebody world class, you know, in front of two? Yeah, of course I would, but, you know, I'd collect players like Candy if I could. Um, you know, are the two of them strong enough to win a, a league campaign? No, you know, that's, that would be my opinion on it, no. So in that case, presumably you would say bye, 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 Bill? Um, I, I think I would, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't make it number one priority, probably, because no. I think Julie is getting better. Um, Welbeck, as, uh, as the guys have said, is a different kind of player. He can't play with his back to goal, he needs to run onto the ball. Um, and if we're not playing like that, then he doesn't get much of a chance. Giroud is is good and improving, but is he world class? I wouldn't say he's world class, um, and he does need the right support around him. So uh, um, you know, they're they're both good in their own way. I, um, I would have Giroud as certainly first selection at the moment over Welbeck. Whether it's enough to win a title, I don't know, but you've, you know, if you've got people like uh, Alexis supporting them, Walcott, who knows what's happening with him, I'm sure you'll come on to him at some point, um, Chamberlain, Cazorla, you know, we've got all these options, you, you don't need everybody at centre-forward, you just need people supporting centre-forward, which is what we're quite good at, but Giroud has to be on form and there's not really an alternative to him, so... 
think I, yeah I would still like to buy I would still like to buy somebody who is world class because it's I think we've we've got a, um, a shortage of, of completely world class people up front since Henri left really we haven't really had anybody else world class up what, front would you say Van Persie uh, yes I, yeah, I suppose I would for, for a relatively short time um, if you know if you played six years of 30 goals a season yes definitely but we didn't get that out of him and then and then he left and I, as you saw I was completely forgotten about him and wiped him from the right so rising history here um, well you mentioned Theo Walcott and he had uh, visions of himself as a centre forward now he's missed uh, almost a year through injury in uh, 2014 and he can't get back in the team now do you think Arson wants to keep him or is the plan to cash in this summer. I think Arsene does want to keep him, but I don't see him ever being a top-class centre-forward. So it could be one of those little projects that Arsene keeps trying every now and again, or keeps trying something slightly different, like putting him in a slightly different role or a slightly different formation, but I don't think it's, it's ever going to be that he turns into another Thierry Henry or a, that similar kind of finisher. He's just, he's just not a good enough finisher. So he'll never be that kind of world-class forward. He can be a great winger, but he's not going to be a great centre-forward. Is there room for him? I don't know. There's, you know, there are so many other options in that kind of area at the moment that I don't think he's needed. And I think when it comes to should Arsenal cash in or not, last time he was looking at his contract, Walcott held most of the cards. Now I think Arsenal hold many more of the cards. And if the demands are too high then I think the board are likely to put a bit of pressure on Arsene to cash in if necessary but you know, as we all know the final decision is with Arsene if he wants him in his squad he'll be in his squad at whatever price but it's, uh, he's, he's not an essential player now for me Lindsay are you a Theo fan? Um, I think he'll go in the summer I, I really do I think he's <sighs> Am I a Theo fan? It's such a hard question to answer, isn't it? Because of the potential and the sort of myth of what you always think he's going to be. But he was bought in 2006. Yeah, a long time. And spent a lot of time in the in the Derby wing, didn't he? So, you know, and then what I like about Theo is he turns up in the big games. I, I, you know, and I like his pace, obviously. But I, I think if we're going to be doing a little bit of buying, I can see him going to fund a little bit of that. Okay. David, would you would you retain him or would you let him go? I'd let him go personally. Uh, I think like a classic number nine centre forward, someone in the, the style of Mike Lowey, ten years ago they'd be the most wanted player in, in the world, but now they're virtually redundant, I think. I mean in the four two three one that Arsenal and a lot of teams play, there's no room for a pace here again. Uh, I mean uh, it'd be really, really nice if you see uh, Walcott get the ball, knock it past the fullback and say, let's go for a jog. He's done that a couple of times, not since he's come back from injury, but before that he did it a couple of times, gets to the byline, but he's about 30 yards ahead of the rest of the team and the opposition. So but he doesn't like shooting, or he's not allowed to shoot unless you're in six-yard box. So he had nothing to do. So there's there's no room for him in the side. And let's face it, he's only on the bench because there are an awful lot of injuries. When everybody's fit, there's no room for him. I mean, look up, look on Saturday. We're playing a little way to Newcastle. Uh, 20 minutes to go. Let's make a substitution. How about we bring on either that young winger type guy and just put balls over the top for him to scare the crap out of the opposition, or how about the 34-year-old playmaker who's going to Major League Soccer in the summer? Good point. Wisitski gets stripped off. I don't think Benga fans him. And I've got a theory, just to finish this off, um, 
Raheem Sterling's out of contract in 18 months and Liverpool got less money than us and hopefully won't have Champions League money I'm thinking swap deal oh I'd love that Walcott plus £5 million from Raheem Sterling who's got about 300 kids all in London it's where he needs to be geographically (laughs) it's Walcott's last five year contract before he turns 31 and his his hamstrings do an owing so it's in everyone's best interest he gets 140 grand a week up there um, we get Sterling and win everything (laughs) Cesc Fabregas had a child in London Uh, doesn't mean to say he went to Arsenal (laughs) and there we are I didn't realise uh, he was so prolific at scoring <laughs> in other departments. Oh, really? Yes, okay. Um, right, so we're now we've got a listener question, or in fact a Guna contributor question. This is Mike Slaughter has um, has emailed and he says next season we could have three right backs Debushi, Bellerin and Jenkinson. Ignoring Callum Chambers, of course, uh, <laughs> but he's a sort more of centre back, I suspect. Yeah. Anyway, he asks, do we keep all three and use them for other positions, or sell one? And if so, which one? Uh, I'll start with you, Lindsay. On this oh, one. you got to pick. Well, you can have them all if you want. Well, if I had to lose one, I'd have to. Sorry to shoot the puppy, but it'd have to be Jen Co. That won't let me have you watched him at all yeah, this I've season? Do you think there's something different in his? Um, I mean, I've heard that he he is defending much better than he did at Arsenal. Yeah, well, I mean, he's obviously he's, he's playing a lot more, isn't he? As well, and I mean, he's first, he's, he's first as well, and you know, that's obviously got to be good for his development. And I don't know, do you keep, do you, do you keep three players in that position? Yeah, well, I mean, other, other clubs might. Yeah, other clubs. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Debussy's a big deal. I think he's absolutely first choice when he's not broken again. Um, and Bellerin's just so exciting to watch, isn't he? It's, it's a difficult one. David, did Bellerin play left back recently? I have a vague memory of him playing left back. Or was that my imagination? Oh, oh, I'm not too sure. Something ahead. I thought if, if in emergency at left back, throw Flamini on there. We did that for the year we got to the European Cup final, didn't we? Maybe uh, my memory is playing tricks. He, he may have come. It could be that we threw two, uh, three chambers on there at left back for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone's played everywhere this season, though, haven't they? Well, you know, versus Everton. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Song's first half at right back against <laughs> Everton. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. That was that was quite a game. Uh, which one would you sell, Phil? Um, if, if, well, if we have to get rid of one of the three, I guess it would have to be Jenkinson at the moment. Uh, Debushi, as Lindsay said, is definitely the number one or number two in that position. Uh, see what I mean? And um, uh, Bellerin has played well and wouldn't want to get rid of him at the moment. It's, I mean, if possible, keep all three. Why not? I mean, it's, it's not like we're we're. Uh, we're not paying yeah, a fortune on his wages, are we? Well, you're not going to get a massive amount for it, then, are you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not a big deal financially either way, I don't think, but Sometimes why not have the option? We haven't been overstaffed with options on a different no. events this season, have we? So okay. it'd be useful to have a few more. Right, well, uh, another um, listener question. This is from Seb Fork. I'm, I'm going to pronounce this wrongly, but Seb Forkuo. Um, and he says competition for places in the squad is at an all-time high. Which players do you feel have taken advantage of this and risen their game, David? Oh, Cockerlan, definitely. I mean, like I say, he was um, he was getting the word "addicts" tattooed across his shoulders. I think in November before Vengi came in. Um, yeah, when everybody's fit, we've got a great-looking squad, you know, but when everybody's fit, despite Shab Forsyth, who's £1.4 million a year, I don't think we've particularly... 
Actually, we're, we're probably a month away from having everyone fit except the army. The, the ones that are around now are literally two and three week jobs. Uh, aren't they always two or three yeah. weeks? Uh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. The usual statement. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you go to uh, the boot room or, or whatever it's called on uh, onlineguna.com. That is where I looked. I was going to say, everyone's two to three weeks, but it was like that two to three weeks ago. And yeah, when everybody's fit, yeah, we, we look good, but there's still room for improvement in the squad, I think. Who, who's risen um, uh, with there being competition for, for places? When Will Beck got started against Manchester United, he was a bit nervous in the first half, but he poached on the one real chance he had and he took it. And I think that was eagerness as well. When Oxlade Chamberlain is fit and he gets a chance to start, he's he's a lot better than he was last year. He was he was good last year. The year before that, he was very very good. But um, he, he looks better. He's uh, maybe he's morphing into this central midfield player that Wenger sees for him long term. Whether that's going to be as part of the two or the three in the midfield, I I don't know. But yeah, they're, they're the three off the top of my head. I think Crocker, Oxlade Chamberlain, and uh, and Welbeck. Um, Lindsay and Phil, any others to add? That you think about what the question saying is who's an automatic choice really and there are very, very few automatic choices mm. to me I mean for Shelby probably um, I don't know who else is is an automatic first choice for every game because you want to do some rotation anyway there's always going to be some you could say well but even Shelby's rotated because of his injury yeah um, Sanchez obviously but he, you know, he didn't have to raise his game he was there already um Copeland, as David said, is the obvious one who has risen above the level he was at previously. Do you think Zola? Uh, I was just going to say, Santi, I think he's, he's one of the ones that has benefited from it. I mean, the first sort of half of the first half, the first third of the season, maybe, and then he's really, really come into life, hasn't he? Yes, because basically, in theory, uh, he, he's, he's up against Ozil mm. in the position he wants to play. Um, and Ozil has been the one. Or was the one who was shifted out left to accommodate him for a while? Well, it's disappointing that the competition situation is a goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, you would think, wouldn't you, like, with the, having a new keeper that might push Chesney on? Um, and at the moment, I don't really massively trust either. I mean, no, uh, th- th- there is a debate about Ospina whether or not he's the real deal. Uh, is anyone, David, you are our goalkeeping guru. <laughs> um, certainly not our striking guru, we won't go there How again. Dave. Um, but uh, what's your view on Ospina? Um, I read an interview with him uh, in the British press over the weekend, and he says himself, uh, I was a centre forward, I got thrown in goal when I was 12, 13 years old, I've kind of been there ever since. And with all due respect, can anyone around this table name a very good South American goalkeeper ever? Mm. I mean, the cat, uh, sorry, Felix was the cat, he liked milk, etc., <laughs> stuff like that. Um, maybe Claudio Taffrell at a huge extreme, but apart yeah, from that, the Palmer guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the guy who did the scorpion kick. Uh, oh, Rene Higuita, <laughs> fa- famous for his tracksuit bottoms and his hair. Oh, um, he scored loads of goals, didn't he? <laughs> what? Was, there, was that guy who played? Uh, he took all the free kicks for. I think it was Paraguay. It was a Paraguay keeper. Oh, Chilavert. That's the guy. Jose, yeah. Well, you know, he's so good. He, he never played club, club football outside of South America. Right. You know, I, 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 he's he's the best. Uh, you know, the best who can be. For, well, God. The Juventus guy went to Fulham. Um, he's Brazilian, wasn't he? Oh, oh what's his name? I should know this guy. God, he's he's in Canada now or somewhere. Um, he, he was Fulham's keeper for for last season. 
It's huge. Not Marcus Stecklenburg. No, he was at Inter. When he went to Juventus. No, not Juventus. Oh, I, I know. Um, Inter to Fulham. Julio Cesar. That's the guy. That's Julio. He's Brazilian. Yeah, he's Brazilian, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. He couldn't get into QPR's team. Um, look, uh, he is what he is. He was a, a World Cup goalkeeper available on a free transfer for minimum wage. And let's face it, from a commercial point, and he was supposed to be the reserve goalkeeper because we kept the right Polish goalkeeper and we got rid of the appropriate Polish goalkeeper. Wrong way round, Arsene, but good effort. Um, Chasing's not good enough, and certainly he's proven that this year. And I think he's staying on the bench, not as a punishment for his dirty habit. I think Wenger's just realising, actually, yeah. Yeah, this guy's not good enough we'll find a German team to take him and we'll find the next 22 year old brilliant German goalkeeper or René Adler or something like that I think Aspina's just a stopgap uh, at the moment because if we go long term with a 5 foot 9 inch uh, Colombian goalkeeper uh, and the Monaco goal uh, third goal proved that um, because they're 5 foot 9 they can't dive that far and that's when the ball gets past the fingertip when it shouldn't because they're supposed to be 6 foot 3 So Lindsay summer transfer market you, you anticipated? Yeah I want a goalkeeper in the summer transfer market definitely Bill, you concur with that? Not as a Spina fan? Um, well, well it, I, he's a very different style to Chesney. It's difficult to compare them because they, they do their job in a different way. So, is one better than the other? I Personally, I feel more confident with a Spina in goal than Chesney. At the moment, certainly you know, this season, the way Chesney's been playing, he seems very unreliable. And if you, if you look at the number of shots he actually stops as a percentage of the shots on target... It's, it always seems to be among the lowest in the Premier League. So, um, so I'm not happy with Chesney as a keeper, but I'm, I'm not totally happy with the speeder either. So, in summary, yes, go and buy someone. Why do you think Arsenal struggled with keepers uh, since, well, effectively Jens Lehmann was uh, demoted? Is it is it to do with the, the, the coaching, or do you just think it's the purchasing? I mean, we have a scouting network. I don't know, it's a difficult question. It's obviously a very specialist position. Uh, goalkeepers tend to develop later than other players do, um, and reach a peak later in their career. So you can you can put somebody in goal at 22, and they may be absolutely fantastic at 27, 28, or they may be rubbish by that time. Uh, you know, They may not ever get any better. I think it's a difficult position to fill. Uh, I think Arsene's faith in Almunia, and most people would agree, went on rather too long there. Um, he was rewarded too much too early, hanging around like a bad smell to the end of his contract. Um, I don't know, I'd, uh, I can't say there's an easy answer, but I would imagine with Arsenal's vast scouting network, they should be able to find somebody better than the current two. Uh, uh, David, I have a memory of reading Almunia's retired now due to injuries. Yeah, he had a, um, he's got a heart problem or something right. like that. Okay. So, yeah, he went to um, one of the. Uh, one of the smaller clubs in Serie A or one of the Serie B clubs in Italy and uh, he didn't play a game for them it's after his medical it turns out he had a serious heart problem well I say serious heart problem he can't play football he's fine he's, he's going to live, live to a ripe old age hopefully but he's after to retire yeah okay. Radio, um let's move on to the Champions League um, now does the exit of both Chelsea and Manchester City at the same stage this season uh, put Arsenal's exit in a different light. Are we being a little harsh? Phil? Um, no, I don't think so. I think Arsenal should have beaten Monaco. Never mind what City or Chelsea do, Arsenal should have beaten Monaco. And, and having been in the Champions League so long, what you tend to see in the, in the Champions League is that the teams who've been in it a few years tend to get better at it. And there's a kind of club mentality that has to develop 
And Man City haven't really got that yet, albeit they came up against um, you know, Barcelona a couple of times now, as we've done in the past, and maybe they'll get by Munich a couple of times and be knocked out by them as well. But there's a there's a big three in Europe at the moment, the two Spanish clubs are by Munich. If you go against them, you're likely to lose whatever stage happens to be. If uh, if if Arsenal had been in the Champions League for 17 years, though, they should have the nose to get past somebody like Monaco. So, no, I think we should have got past them. It doesn't matter what the others do, we should have got past them. Lindsay, is there any defence without uh, you know trying to no, make a pun? No, it was a draw we all wanted, and we got it, and, and fucked it up. Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of the home leg, there's absolutely no excuse for that. I mean, the, everyone knew that it was going to be some kind of heroic defeat once the away thing happened I wasn't going out there expecting anything different and I don't think you can look at the Chelsea or the uh, City results and have any bearing on what we did Okay um, David do you think the club can ever win that particular trophy under the current manager? No no not really Um, you look at um, you look at the manager of Bayern Munich Pep Guardiola he's been very lucky in the sense that he's inherited two great sides of the two teams that he's managed but he seems to know what he's doing at Bayern Munchen they'll always be better than us um, Barcelona don't need a manager I think Luis Enrique's job there is to um, uh, put cones out during warm-ups maybe <laughs> as uh, the team the team works itself and Man City are a very very good side but I mean they're outplayed over 180 minutes with, uh, with, uh, 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 with Barcelona um, so those are two teams we have to beat uh, maybe it could be one of those uh, the, the lucky year when um, Mourinho won the Champions League with Porto where everyone got knocked out and the final ended up being Porto Monaco yes. if we could do that then maybe but but that could have been this year couldn't it it could have been could have been I mean let's face it I mean, they were there for the taking Monaco but to use a classic expression of my father in the first half of the first leg we didn't know if we wanted a shit or a haircut and uh, conceded a 35 yarder pinball uh, pinball three deflection goal for uh, Godogbia um, to open scoring then we had to throw it at them and you know well the third goal killed everything but yeah we shot ourselves in front um, why do you think Arsenal haven't learnt how to play these European ties in having had so many cracks at it and this includes with the better teams I don't know you, well, you could ask the same question why has Arsene Wenger never beaten Jose Mourinho is it because he's not adaptable enough is it because he refuses to adapt his tactics to the opposition he just wants to go play his way and he wants his team to play pure football in his vision and and is not pragmatic enough I think there's a there's a big element of that um, Lindsay do you think we were pragmatic in 2006 I think 2006 was was one of those as well, wasn't it? It was a bit fluky. We didn't we had players that we weren't necessarily wouldn't have necessarily been playing. Um, but didn't we play tighter? Yeah, we did. Lots of clean sheets. I think they can do it on occasions. You've seen them do it. You know that Barcelona game when we went out there and kept it so tight for the first half, and then got screwed over by the ref. But he just doesn't do it enough. It's not it's not sort of something that you feel that he wants to do. Um, and it, it gets frustrating. You can say it the same with the Premier League. You know, when we play the big boys, it's always the same. We want to play the same way, and then you get thumped by six goals, and then you get thumped again by six goals. And you think, well, if you keep doing this again, this is what we're going to get. It's the same with Europe. Okay. Um, let's move on to a happier story: the FA Cup. Um, now, obviously. Uh, Last season's semi didn't go as people predicted in terms of the actual match. Do you think uh, we'll see a more convincing display this season, Phil? I hope so, um, but you can never tell because it's a one-off, and 
the the other team are going to be up for it. Whatever division they're in, um, they're going to be up for it. And, and to be honest, I would, I'm, I'm glad we're playing Reading rather than Bradford because I I would fear that we would cock up against Bradford and they would be so up for it because that would be not just their season but their career highlight. Um, that they would have no qualms about kicking lumps out of anybody and doing anything they had to to win so I'd rather play Reading and have them try and play football and hopefully we can outplay them and I would hope reasonably comfortably on you know on any kind of form or statistical guide we should be winning 3 or 4 nil without any problem I doubt it would be that easy but I hope it will be easier than it was last time um, David do you know much about Reading this season? Uh, no not really which uh, I think kind of sums up what kind of team they are they're there for the taking they're going to throw everything at us but we oh, well we should beat them but thankfully I think we learned an awful lot of stories through um, uh, Blackburn and Bradford those years when uh, we were giving away uh, games even at home to really really poor lower division teams but um, I think we'll be better this year we don't want another penalty shootout and um, we should be all okay um, yeah I, I can't think of anything anything decent in the Reading team whatsoever with all due respect to all of them <laughs> uh, Lindsay uh, the manager is Steve Clark. he was the assistant I believe to Mourinho in his first tenure at Chelsea. Is my memory uh, playing tricks? He wasn't. The he name was. rings a bell. Do you think uh, that may have some influence? It might be a call. Have we ever beaten Steve Clark? I hope he's not giving him tips. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think we've, you know, over the last sort of two seasons, we've knocked out some serious, serious teams in that FA Cup. We've played at Wembley twice now as well, so we've got that kind of under our belt. It's, it's the same with Arsenal every week, isn't it? It'll be in our own heads. You know, if we turn up on the day, then we should, we should have no problem. But if we turn up on the day, okay. Well, let's have a prediction to see who would be the other finalists against the winners of Reading or Arsenal. So you've got three teams. Villa, Blackburn or Liverpool the bookies will say Liverpool David do you think it's going to go that way? I think uh, the BBC and Sky were even decided it's going to be Arsenal <laughs> Liverpool and Steve and Gerrard will either stamp on someone's leg straight after half time or be on the bench yeah indeed he scores the last minute winner from 300 yards or something like that I think it'll be Liverpool but I'd much prefer Aston Villa Vincent do you think it'll be Liverpool? I think it'll be Liverpool because I think and, and it's going to be disgusting the amount of gushing that's going to be going on um, it will be Jason um, hopefully we can absolutely piss on their parade but yeah I think it will be Liverpool but I prefer the Liverpool I think uh, a tricky replay at Blackburn to negotiate Bill well uh, I've already predicted that Villa are going to get to the finals so I'm going to stick with that I think Liverpool might well choke in the semi-final it might be a bit much for them they're chasing top four as well so uh, Villa now safe from relegation they've got nothing to play for in the league have they so um, so I think uh, I think Villa for the final uh, obviously Arsenal to win and uh, and Tim Sherwood can join in the celebrations <laughs> <laughs> everybody's a winner everybody's shirt off right to return to uh, our correspondent Seb Foucault he he asks what do you think is Arsenal's first choice 11 when everyone is fully fit now I'm going to slightly skew that question and ask you to imagine Arsenal did overcome Reading and make the FA Cup final 
Who would the manager start with, assuming everybody is available for selection? And we'll do this together, all right? So basically, who do we think will be in goal for the cup final? David Spina. Yeah. Chesney is the cup not the, the cup keeper. goalkeeper. Remember last year? I think it can be a spiteful bugger he wants to, as Ian Wright will tell you when you use the words Christopher Ray. Um, I, I think if Wenger's decided he's going, not in a, we want you to stay, but you won't sign a new contract, as he had with Fabianski, I think Wenger's decided he's going, and he can give a fine fuck whether he goes away smiling or crying. So, Ospina, you think? Okay. Um, I think Chesney's cup people will get the nuts, but there we are. Uh, right back, we assume Debussy, well, everyone's fit, so we use. If, if everyone's fit, it's definitely going to be Debussy, yeah. yeah. Um, who's your left back? <laughs> Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Now this season to put a cat amongst the pigeons, isn't it? I think it's to say uh, an answer. I should have put in people who have risen with. Um, yeah, Monreal's been Monreal. great this year. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, the better left yeah, back at the moment. Yeah, he's probably deserving of a place. Right, centre backs now. Presumably, you'll pick Koscielny. Who's he going to pick? Yeah, with? I would definitely pick Cos. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I've seen enough of Gabriel yet. Um, go with experience. Go with the Cosm Nerf. Yeah, yeah, maybe go with the Cosm Nerf. Okay. Experience and understanding there. Um, Coquelin or Arteta? If everybody's fit, I'd have DRB. Right. <laughs> oh, come on, let's, let's pull that back what to reality. It wouldn't anyway. It wouldn't anyway. He's unfortunately two, two to three years away. <laughs> uh, goodbye. That is the Stephen Gerrard goodbye guys. Yes. <laughs> For Arsenal. If they let him pick the cup up in the event that we win, that, that, oh, seriously, Michael Bayard by the film right straight away would be amazing. Mm. Well, I mean, do you think uh, Arteta could be benched for that? I, I think so, yeah. If, um, if Coughlin continues to play the way he's been playing, then yeah, I can quite see that. Yeah. Yeah. But is this a, are we doing our choice or Arsene's choice? Who do we think Arsene will pick? Could we think Arsene will do some new Arsene's choice? So I think Arsene. I think Arsene would go with Coughlin. Right. Okay. Um, now he's got a decision to make. Uh, one assumes he'll play Ozil in the cup final. Tell yeah. me if you disagree. So then he's got Cazorla and Ramsey to pick. And he could move Ozil wide and play them both, and then play Giroud and Sanchez. Does that sound like the team, or do you think there is an X factor there that uh, you know he will drop one of Ramsey and Cazorla and play a Welbeck or an Upstate Chamberlain? Uh, no, I'd go with the I'd go with your first suggestion there. Um, leave Welbeck out. Um, you know, Walcott, as Dave was saying, might struggle to get on the bench. Um, but yeah, if you've got a, if you've got a front five there, is it five? I've lost count already. Giroud, Sanchez, Cazorla, Ramsey. I know it's all the sure all, yeah. Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay. I think that'd be right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the 4 2 3 1, Ramsey covering every every grade of glass and Tocolan covering him, the three of Ozil and Cazorla swapping in the middle, Sanchez on the ring. Right, well, the FA Cup is a cup. In general terms, though, do you feel that Arsenal have progressed since this time last season? I, I think it's, it's a little bit static, to be honest, overall. Uh, I, I don't know what the number of points is exactly against last season. We've looked at the league table, we're not in a dissimilar position. FA Cup, obviously, we're still in it, we're still in it last year. Champions League went out at the same stage. 
can't say we've really progressed compared to other teams around us. You know, every season you get one rise above us and one drops below us. You know, you get your Man United dropping down and then coming back up. You get Chelsea had one bad season, dropped down to seven, came back up again. We just sit there in the middle and they rotate around us. So, like a roundabout. You know, do we, yeah, do we ever progress? I don't know. It's not not really that much. No. We did we did spend the second highest amount of net spend in the transfer market in the Premier League last summer. So we should have progressed in theory. Mm. Do you, do you think we have at all? No, I don't think. I think we're static. I think that there, there was. I think that the Marlin money should have got spent, and then we might have progressed. But the damage was done early doors. Yeah. Okay. Radio. Um, so the new TV deal. Um, it means an income from television of forty-six pound for every seat that is sold at a Premier League game. Um, given the relatively healthy attendances at matches. Is there any case for reducing ticket prices, or should football clubs simply make hay while the sun shines and make as much money as they can? Obviously, as supporters, we uh, we want to reduce prices. Do you think there's any realistic chance of that happening? Well, what, what is the what is the money for? What's the benefit of it to the game? Or well, it'll go to wages. Anybody? Well, exactly. So that's no benefit to to football, is it? Players get paid too much already. They don't need any more. They're not going to be any better because they have more money than they've got now. If they get two hundred thousand a week instead of one hundred thousand, they're not going to be twice as good. There is nobody who goes to a football match specifically to watch. I don't know Ryan Shawcross. Do they turn up because they want to see Ryan Shawcross strut his stuff? Being paid what thirty grand a week, whatever he gets at the terrible northern place he's at. You know, nobody nobody turns up specifically to watch him, but he still gets paid more than the average man gets in a year. So, what is the point of giving all the players more money? So, you know, well, it's like an arms race. It's, it's the agents who insist on well, it, and the clubs will play ball because they want the player. No, yeah, I'm not saying there's an easy way out of this. I'm just, but you're asking, is there a case to to give it back to the fans? And I say yes, there is because. There's a benefit there. The fans, more fans will go. Not every ground is full. Arsenal is full, or well, apart from the five thousand season ticket holders who don't turn up on a regular basis. But all the tickets are sold in other grounds. Not all the tickets are sold, and they could be if they were cheaper. And the atmosphere would be better. Away supporters could be, you know, encouraged more. Uh, free tickets for away supporters. Why not? You know, get get a better atmosphere. Go back to the atmospheres that we had 20, 30 years ago. Why not? Do you think there's an argument for making it cheaper for away fans and then allowing more away fans in and getting a cup tie style atmosphere at Manchester? Yeah, there, there's lots of there's lots of things that they can look at, isn't there? And there's there's loads of marches going on. Is it next week? They're actually sort of looking at Thursday. There is Thursday. a meeting of the Premier League uh, clubs and um, the Football Sports Federation uh, have organised a protest. Before. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's got to be sort of some of the things that got to be looked at. I mean, 50 quid to go to QPR and, and sort of stand behind a post, I mean, and Anfield, you know, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. At the same time, you know, all the big stadiums are suffering from a lack of atmosphere, and that has to be down to the fact that people are spending 70, 80 quid to go to a game, and then, you know, the, the, the noise is priced out. There's no argument in that. I can't afford to take my daughter, whereas at her age, this time, I'd already been going for a year, pretty much home and away every, every game. She's going to go to maybe three games this season. You know, you have to start looking at it because 
Football isn't a TV show. It, it does it. It doesn't just exist on the ninety minutes and then people shut a laptop or they turn the channel over. That's what Sky will have you to believe, and that's what the BBC will have you to believe. But it isn't. It's a. It's a family. We go every week. We see the same people every week, and it is us that do keep the atmospheres and, and keep the, the club alive. So yeah, they do have to start looking after their own. And we have seen our club through lean periods. And we've, we've, you know, we've we've paid the high prices when they've asked us to. And it is about time now the wealth is back that a little bit gets put back towards the people who, who've, who've supported that through the bond and through buying the new stadium, etc., etc. David, when I've watched Arsenal games back on TV that I've been at. I've noticed what they do is turn the sound effects mics right up in front of certain sections of the crowd to make out there's an atmosphere which in reality wasn't really going on. Do you think they can get away with continuing to do that? Uh, yeah, I would have thought so. I would have thought so. Uh, unfortunately, the, the whole approach w- was summed up perfectly by our beloved Mr. Gazidis at the a- AGM this year. It's a case of supply and demand. And if that kind of thing serves nothing but to add people to a ticket waiting list, then the job is done. And even though we've still got officially got a waiting list of 12,500 people, I imagine something like six or 7,000 season tickets will become available this summer. But they'll have to go beyond the end of that waiting list to sell them. And they will sell them, like an awful lot of the residential property on the north and south bank of the Thames. Yeah, they've been bought, by bought by people who don't live there, but they've got money to flash, that kind of thing. I mean, my dad, he's, uh, because he's coming to terms with the fact that at the age of 70, he lives up in Northamptonshire, so it's a colossal hour and a half drive to games um, at weekends. If it's on Sky, there's no point in coming. It's not a great atmosphere, and I'll sell it through Ticket Exchange, and he sells it in a heartbeat. And very fortunately for me, I've sat next to some of the most beautiful 17-year-old Japanese females <laughs> you can imagine. This isn't a lie at all. Seriously, they're lovely women, wonderful Adam's apples. I hope to see them again. I really do. Um, but, th- 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 sorry, joking that's what it's like I mean it's not about Arsenal fans anymore it's about who wants to be seen there I mean the guys who've got season tickets behind me I won't know many names but Block 99 North Bank Upper um, I know that they're very concerned uh, as to the voting system on Celebrity Big Brother uh, who's going to win the Ashes this summer and what's the best island in the West Indies to go to on holiday because that's what they talk about not football okay but while there is that kind of money in football, that we won't be considered. You know, it, this isn't just we can have this conversation till till we're blue in the face. It won't matter. Mm. I remember our old friend, the Highbury Spy, actually made a prediction about 1998 or 99 or something that within 10 years, because the TV money would be so big, they would be paying people. But well, not paying, but the tickets would be free. Everyone would be free getting into the stadium in order to create the atmosphere. But unfortunately, the demand has meant that. Well, that could now happen quite easily, as you said, with those figures. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not going to. Because right. it's, it's, it's a business. Yeah. And, and what football has lost sight of is that it's football clubs. Club means it's run for the benefit of the people who formed it and who support it. But you know, the word is being twisted now. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's called Arsenal Football Club. But really, it's Arsenal PLC. It's summed up quite well. Summed up quite well by the owner of uh, Hull City. Um, Hull City football, a- AFC is one thing, but we're not Hull City anymore. We're the Hull Tigers, and that's a more sellable worldwide brand. And from a commercial point of view, he makes an awful lot of sense. And ultimately, the commercial point of view is the only one that matters, and that is our CEO's job. Make as much money out of this brand as you possibly can. If you read Fever Pitch, you know, he predicted all of this as well, didn't he? He talked about that when, when the volume was coming out and stuff, and would, would, you know, would the new breed of football fan make the noise? And no, you are, they didn't. <laughs> all right. 
Well, um, the Gooners celebrates its 250th issue with the release of the next edition at the Liverpool game on Easter Saturday. It began life in the 1987-88 season. So to finish the podcast on a high, can the panellists tell us their favourite Arsenal season since the Gooners' inception and the reason why? Let's start with you, Phil. Uh, well, I've got two, really. 1998, when Arsenal did the double, um, was, was a fantastic season, brilliant team. Uh, Loved going there. It was uh, it was fantastic atmosphere all the time. Also, it seemed anyway in my rose tinted memories. Um, but I I don't think you can top 1989 and the final day against Liverpool. I mean, there, there was a horrible season with Hillsborough and that kind of thing going on, and um, it looked as though we'd blown it. And I remember going to the games, and we went to home game against Wimbledon, and we drew. And it looked as though we'd blown it completely. Uh, David's sort of nodding, but he can't remember, he's too young for that. But, um, but then, that, that last night, and I wasn't one of the uh, 600,000 people who went to Anfield that night. Um, I, was, I was at home watching on TV with my dad and my brother, and we just all went mental when Arsenal won. And, and that feeling of the first time, basically in my living memory, I was alive in 1971, but I, it wasn't something that meant very much to me. Um, so, that first league title in you know it's sort of celebrated in my lifetime I think that's got to be the number one okay Lindsay yeah 89 was probably the first I remember my dad's a Spurs fan I support Arsenal because of my brothers and I remember even when that goal went in that my dad it was just it was one of those magical moments that even at 37 you know still like the hairs on the back of my neck go up then there's obviously 98 and 2004 of course I mean how can you how can you, how can you forget the football from that year David um, if oh, all my favourite seasons have gone after going for the last year at Highbury in 2005-2006 um, uh, I managed to sit in all four stands in the last year at Highbury which was wonderful I've never sat in the um, in the west lower um, or in fact the west upper thinking about it as I had worked thing um, after the stadium had officially shut after the Wigan game and uh, we had a charity match and I wasn't in the sales team where I worked so I could just watch the game rather than take part but whilst everyone was watching the game the crowd of about 150 people there was nobody else there so I just snuck upstairs and watched the game from the director's box and went into the little boardroom and stuff like that which was wonderful so we had that we had the uh, the Real Madrid game at home in the Champions League the best nil-nil draw I've ever experienced in my entire life and Jens Lehmann making the best save yeah. I've ever seen in my life from Raul um, Roberto Carlos you know clearing a 45 yard shot off the goal line stuff like that um, and then the last day of the season which we had to beat the mighty Wigan <laughs> to somehow scrape a fourth place for the Champions League and Spurs all got a runny bum literally and physically um, and you know, I, I remember, I, I, like everyone, I stayed and uh, I was the last person to leave the ground. But it's yeah. living memory. The only time I left Highbury crying because yeah. um, let's face it, I've, uh, I couldn't afford a seven hundred thousand pound one bedroom flat, so I'm never going to go back there again. So. It's always time, David. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, right. Well, uh, as as mentioned there, the uh, the next issue is number two fifty. It goes on sale at the Liverpool game. It will feature an Alan Smudger-Smith interview, uh, the best front and back covers from the previous 249 editions, and articles on past Arsenal semi-finals, who should stay and go this summer, how watching the game has changed since 1987, and plenty more. I have to get it to press before the weekend, so a couple of busy days ahead for yours truly. 
Um, but to wrap up uh, this evening, our thanks again to our hosts, Highbury Corner. And uh, if you want to uh, contribute any questions or topics for the next podcast, then you can contact us on Twitter at Guna Podcast or via email. That is gunapodcast at gmail.com. Okay. That just leaves the goodbye from our panellists. Thank you very much, David. Uh, good night. Thanks for listening. Lindsay. Bye. And Phil. Thank you. Good night. Our next podcast will be sometime towards the end of April. la di da di da la di da di dee All good friends and jolly good company. Way.